This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always, listen, y'all, we got a celebrity in the house. I cannot say enough about this man right here. I'm so excited. I'm honored that he would grace us with his presence. This guy is a three-time New York Times bestseller three weeks in a row. Man, I don't even know, man. I, I don't even know what, what I should do. Is, should I, I'm genuflecting right now in front of the microphone. I, wow. I, I mean, my wow. goodness, the man, the myth, the legend, the best-selling author, the president of The Witness, Mr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Hey, I'm talking to the busiest man on the mic. You just got done <laughs> preaching. You hosting a podcast now, bro. I'm trying to get on your level. Don't try to deflect. Congratulations <laughs> for three weeks in a row. You're not going to accept the deflection. <laughs> yeah, it feels it feels amazing, man. Uh, you know, the first week was like, wow, where did this come from? Week two is totally unexpected, but week three almost feels as significant as the first week because it's just like you know consistent attention and whatnot uh so so it's great man it's keeping me busy for sure but um i'm excited about what we're talking about today because it hit close to home it intersects with the book all of my passions and good friends yeah, and I'm so excited about our guest today. Right before we get to them, I just want to remind people that you have the opportunity to actually go on a special book study with Jamar Tisby. It's on Facebook. Can you give them the, the name of the Facebook group? Because yeah. people need to know about this. Yes, yes, yes. Go to, uh, if you want to study The Color of Compromise with me, I know a lot of you have been starting your own studies in churches or, or just uh, independently, but if you want to go through it with the author, you can join us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash groups, forward slash the color of compromise, facebook.com slash groups slash the color of compromise. Just uh, request to get in. We got all kinds of questions and, and prompts for you, uh, a, a community of over a thousand so far. So I'd love to see you there. And I am so excited that we have the opportunity to talk with two special guests. Obviously, over the past week, we have been hearing a lot of conversation about the Mississippi state flag. And I just want to read this really quickly. This is very important to kind of root and ground us in this uh, work that they've been doing. And it says here, Mississippi was the last state to actively fly the Confederate battle flag within the canon of its own state flag. For many years, state-funded universities in some cities around the state refused to put up the flag. In 2001, a motion was put to popular vote, but in the end, nothing was changed. As the issue became more urgent, with white supremacists flying not only the Confederate and Nazi flags, but also Mississippi State flag, a group of Mississippians began creating a podcast to tell the story of how Mississippi is changing itself from within. We saw an opportunity to showcase the future of our state, not the past. We wanted our listeners to shape the outcome of that story, and they did. This is Red Flag. How do I do, y'all? How do I do? Can I, can I get the job? Can I get the internship? I'm here for it. That was great. Well, we are joined with the host of the Red Flag Podcast, our award-winning producer. Award-winning. Yes, award-winning producer. We cannot say it enough. 
uh, Mr. Bo York, and also the wonderful, incomparable Shalise Hall. What? Thank you both for joining us uh, here on this podcast today. I made Thank it. You so much. I'll add a quick addendum. <laughs> quick addendum. A lot has changed since 2018 when the podcast came out, including my last name. So this oh, is Shalise oh. Grove you're talking to. Yeah, that's right. Oh, she say got this again. Say this again. What, what, okay, so what's the correct and proper name? Because Bo failed us. Yeah. <laughs> this is Shalise Grove. Grove. Yes. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It just gives us an opportunity to congratulate you yes. on the fact that you got married. Um, so Shalise Grove and Bo York. I, I just want to, I'm glad you corrected us on that. I don't want to start no drama. Listen, you I don't know how that works. I almost <laughs> actually did let give you a heads up, but I thought it'd be funnier if, <laughs> if we went. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice save, Bo. Nice <laughs> save. To come you. That's what happened. So right, right. Exactly. Like, I know you did not just use my maiden name. <laughs> Which I'm still proud well, of, but just it's new. <laughs> absolutely. Well, listen, I, I, I'm really excited to have you guys on because I want to honor you for the, the the work that you put in. And it's so interesting because I remember the first time Bo told me about the Red Flag Project. And I remember kind of sitting back and listening to it and being like, man, that'd be huge. That's, that's pretty big, man. And you know how you you kind of hear it and you you say, man, this is a this is a project. It's an aspirational project. It's like so it's built on changing a part of society. Um, and you know, you don't necessarily know if you're actually going to see that change, but you guys have seen that change. Yeah, you guys have seen the change over the past few weeks, and I just want to hear your reactions. First, starting with Shalise, then Bo. How does it feel now that the work that you've put in, you've accomplished at least a, a significant part of your goal? You know, I don't want to say everything is done. But you've accomplished yeah. a significant part of your goal. How does that feel? I want to hear all your emotions. Uh, a lot of emotions there are. <laughs> um, I appreciate you guys having us on the show. First of all, thank you. I am a fan and full support of what you guys are doing and how you've talked about so many topics. Um, but for this, it's it's kind of mind-blowing. It's a lot of feelings at once from being um, – I've been outside of Mississippi for the past two years. Um, I've been in DC and I'm actually coming to you right now from Michigan where I am originally from. So my identity is, um, part Northerner, uh, originally from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, but I grew mm. up mostly in Mississippi. And so my identity, uh, and my experience in feeling the oppression under this flag, uh, I feel like it's very nuanced and has, has been very different for me, um, and I, I don't know how hopeful I really was that we would make an impact. And I, I want to acknowledge so many Mississippians um, near in the state and also far away like myself who have done a lot of work along the way. I appreciate the journalists telling the stories. I appreciate the organizers who have been protesting and doing the work. I appreciate the people who have made designs years and years ago that were proposed uh, that got mm-hmm. shot down. So this has been a long time coming. And I don't think that we knew it would really come, but it has. And so I'm, I'm so thankful and this is just the beginning. I know that some people who are, I'll say, against the movement of change get scared when we talk about this is just the beginning. What are we going to do next? But there is so much more, so much more equitable names and symbols and acknowledgments that need to be had and change. And I I am just still bubbling over with seeing this. Um, 
as I actually saw the things happening, I'm not sure where Bo was, but I was visiting family um, at a safe social distance with a mask on and um, on, the, <laughs> on the porch of my aunt's house. And we're actually, Alan, uh, my husband had his phone live streaming, actually watching the session happening uh, <laughs> of people in the gallery and live streams and things. So we were watching it kind of step by step, even from a distance that we were that invested in what was going to happen. So I'll pause right there and pivot to Bo, but I am still bubbling over. Yeah, a lot of emotions. It's um, you know, you know, first and foremost, I mean, it's we have to acknowledge that like this is like what a, what a joy and what an honor and what a privilege to be able to be alive in this moment to be able to experience this because this has been a process. If we look if we look at this specific process, this is twenty years in the making of really just the efforts of countless Mississippians, most of which will never be known or named. And mm-hmm. just you know, so many people who did not live to see this. And that's not counting, of course, those that have fought against the, the symbol and the symbol in which it represents and worked towards dismantling white supremacy in Mississippi. Uh, they come before this particular movement, specifically spearheading towards changing uh, the flag. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a victory for so many people. And it's, how do I say this? Like, so, so, you know, as Shalice mentioned, we, we've got kind of, um, uh, you know, we're, we're not currently, neither of us are currently in Mississippi. And so uh, since, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. finishing the, the first or, or the series, uh, both of us have, have left and are in different places with uh, Shalice in DC and me in Houston. And there was just this extreme, like almost pain that I saw that this was happening. And it, it seemed like, the movement was striking up again and I felt so away from it. It really kind of hurt <laughs> to be away from yeah. like my people in the middle of this and be away yeah. from, you know, those that are actually actively doing the streets. Like, so when, when this all kicked off and uh, you know, obviously the moment that we are experiencing with, you know, the murder of George Floyd being kind of this uh, catalyst, uh, you know, mixed in with everybody being, you know, stuck in quarantine and kind of forced to stop everything and pay attention um, you know, we are Jackson specifically had the largest, one of the largest protest marches it's had in recent decades. Ever. And yeah. This was huge. This was absolutely huge because there have been people marching on the Capitol, like, especially about this issue, but even beyond this issue, uh, almost on a weekly basis, like Pottery mm. Studios, mm. when the, the headquarters was right around the corner from the Capitol. And so like there didn't, there wasn't really a day that went by that I didn't see people marching. And there were several flag protests that we attended and gathered audio for that were, you know, sparsely attended, like 20, 30 folks, um, probably the largest one I ever went to maybe had 60, maybe. And this was during the, you know, 2017, 2018, where there was kind of this renewed uh, push where it seemed like there might be a moment uh, that ultimately crashed down. So anyway, just seeing all of this kind of come together was on the one hand, it was, it was like just this intense amount of joy but also this intense amount of like wishing that I could like be in the presence of all these amazing people uh, who are who are able to get this thing across the finish line, and I'm just so proud of them and uh, so so honored to, uh, like I said, to be alive during this time to be able to witness this this one thing, this one, mm. you know, mm. you could argue small. It's a small thing and a huge thing at the exact same time. But this right. to see this thing done, uh, it's just an honor to to see it. And Bo, you mentioned something that's very interesting that I want you and Chalice to talk about, and that's how do you feel about this coming on the heels of everything that's happening in this country? You know, there's a there's a broader conversation about how everyone is feeling about 
the climate and how the climate of the country and the the, the tragic murders of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, and in the midst of a global pandemic, th- there's some people who are saying, well, this is not what we wanted. This is not, do, are you sensitive to that regard as well? And how does it, is there any sense of like, well, I mean, I wish this would have come at a different time or is it, man, I'm just glad it happened. I'm just glad we're here. <laughs> you know, how, do, how are you, how are you guys, if you're at processing that at all, thinking through those things? Um, I'll say the first thing that comes to my mind is apply pressure. And that's what kept happening through so many different systems and people who were invested in this work and and for the flag to come down. Uh, I think it's, it's terribly sad yet so Mississippi that it had to happen in the middle of a pandemic after a national murder uh, under this particular president. Um, After so many things have happened, it took uh, for people who are following the story, it took uh, two major sports networks to commit their support. It took right. um, <laughs> it took a number of industry and economic financial support. There was um, leaders of banks and of Sanderson Farms. The, there's a plant located in Mississippi as well that also said that if they don't back this uh, back uh, behind taking down the flag, then they would, you know, they would get involved or like or they would also take away their stock in Mississippi. Like it was, it took all these different things, including a protest. And it, it just, it's frustrating that it took all that, but I still think that there's a collective sigh of relief that, wow, we did it. I, I was thinking, and I, I think this was the same day. I, th- I think it was June 6th. Uh, our, our governor, the Mississippi governor, was kind of sharing uh, a sense of solidarity or attempting to share a sense of solidarity. Attempting to. Yeah, with uh, <laughs> oh, right, right, yep, yep. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, and just saying like, oh, you know, I'm I'm with you, protesters, and yes, we need to dismantle white supremacy. Or I mean, obviously, he didn't use those exact languages, but I think that's what he was trying to communicate. And I remember it was the exact same day that like the the Washington Redskins also kind of posted something uh, in in that same regard. And I think it's it's notable, by the way, that as we're recording, um, you know, the big talk of Twitter right now is. The push for the uh, the Washington uh, Redskins to change their name, which uh, I guarantee it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, I've been watching that. Look, too. if we can yeah. take down our flag, you know, basically, yes, come on, man, yeah, come any on. Any of these names and symbols can be can be uh, uh, updated, changed, and 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 put to rest. Uh, but anyway, so he he posted this thing out, and I remember very specifically thinking, like, like, dude, like you know, it's kind of hard to pay attention to you when you're flying the flag of white supremacy. Like you can't show, mm. it's really, really difficult mm. to try to show solidarity in in that moment. Um, and so as people were marching and as there was kind of this uh, call to action, I do remember thinking like, okay, we're here again. Cause we've been here before. There has been national tragedy. There has been something horrible. There has been a victim of police brutality. There have been, there have been a, you know, quote unquote racial incident in America that has caused the people of Mississippi to pause and have to reflect on their flag. That's not new. That That's not new. Now, we're in kind of this moment where we've reached this boiling point, where we've reached this critical mass where things are different in this moment than they have been in the past. And I think that's crucial towards getting anything done. But it's not like we haven't necessarily, you know, I mean, we, we've been sort of here before. And so at first... I was a little bit like, okay, good. I'm seeing some talk about this coming up again. And I'm seeing a lot of the conversations we were having back in 2018 happening again. And this is encouraging. And I even like went to Twitter. I was like, look, we did this series. If it helps while you're trying to convince people of what's going on, by all means, please use it with our blessing. 
uh, you know, rooting for you. But in, in my heart of hearts, man, whew, I was thinking like, y'all, I, I was already broken hearted thinking this was yeah, not Yeah, it can't take another, it can't take another leg down. Exactly, yeah. man. Because in 2018, when we finished up the series, we, we had we a- finish the series. It was a, it was a, at a cliffhanger point a little bit. Exactly. We, we essentially had like a two-part finale we wanted to tell, but the, the two bills, or I'm sorry, the three bills that were being considered all died in committee. And I mean, just personally, I, th- I mean, I think this is true of both of us, but I mean, I was at this place where I was like defeated and I just did not have the energy to end on an even more depressing note than the cliffhanger that we had already left things with. Um, I, I agree. And I'm glad that we did pause it because um, not only be, we could not have foreseen the future by any means, but I, I'm glad that we did because I think that was the same feeling that Mississippians had as well for whoever was listening to the podcast and that we don't want this to end like this. We're going to keep fighting. Um, and so I, I, I hope that's what, I mean, I'm looking back now. I don't think that's what we felt, but I'm glad that's what happened because that pause left time for, for us to switch around our position and for other people to, to readjust the strategy of this isn't going to work this way. It's got to come some kind of way. Let's figure this out and let's wait. Yeah, everybody that we talked to like consistently said like if this is like everybody saying I don't think this is going to happen, but if it does ever happen, there's going to be another national tragedy. Basically, there has to be a human life sacrifice to make this happen. Yeah, and and that gets back to Shalisa's point of it's frustrating that it took all this. And then Bo, you said you know this is a process that's been at least twenty years in the making. I think the first bill uh, to change it in modern times was like 1988, so even further back. And I want to I want to dig into the weeds a little bit here, but I, it's going to connect because it speaks to our legislative process. It speaks to specifically voting, and and the way that falls along party lines and racial lines. Can 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 y'all take us back to two thousand one, and what you can tell us about the referendum on the flag? And why it didn't pass? It didn't feel free and fair. Like like the the rhetoric among uh, legislators, particularly GOP legislators in the state of Mississippi, is let the people decide. And then they had this big referendum where they put it to a vote statewide for the quote unquote people to decide. And then when the current flag still r- remained after that vote for the next twenty years, almost up till twenty twenty. The, the the mantra was well the people voted the people decided they want the flag is is that is there more to the story than that oh yeah i mean so one of the things you have to remember is so much has changed since 2001 um even even something as basic as technology and the way in which the internet has you know become a thing people now have more information are able to kind of educate themselves in ways that they haven't been able to before Back in 2001, I remember I was like right at voting age when the referendum was going on. And I actually remember there was a, there's a, um, a white supremacist who was a, like a, like a local Senator or, uh, Otterman, or I, I can't remember exactly what position he had for whatever County he was, but this dude was like a hardcore campaigner for, you know, the, the flag. And he would stand outside of our school every single day and he would shout at my brother, who was actually in charge of putting up the, the American flag. And he would shout at him and say, where's our state flag? Every single day. In fact, he actually like, mm. went onto the internet and started trolling my brother. Like a grown man was trolling a underaged kid. It was a whole thing. But anyway, yeah. I mean, like there was a lot of folks, the discussion at the time, as I recall, 
was a lot about design. And I mean, understand this is coming from specifically a very kind of white bubble Mississippi, you know, discussion around the flag. And the two designs that were being put forth, I, you know, I don't even fully remember the other design. I remember it was kind of bluish, if I'm remembering. There might have been a magnolia tree, but it wasn't particularly all that pretty. And then, you know, you had the regular state design, which everybody's like, yeah, you know, uh, I mean, Civil War, that that's not fun. So, you know, but there just wasn't this uh, saturation of information for white voters in Mississippi. And then on top of that, kind of the the efforts to drive awareness that this was even happening on a rural and statewide level, you know, we didn't have the exact same support. There wasn't the exact same money. You know, we ended things in on the Red Flag podcast uh, talking about 2001. And we did so by discussing things uh, with... Uh, one of the spokespersons for the Sons of Confederate Veterans who were hugely active during that time and campaigning for the now former flag. I love saying that. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> flex on them, Bo. Flex on them. I know. I used to have to yeah. say current flags like now former flag. Uh, but yeah, so the thing is they had a ton of money. They had a ton of support. You know, this was this is a huge battleground area for the Sons of Confederate Veterans who never stopped fighting the Confederacy. They, or they never stopped fighting the Civil War. You know what I mean? The ideals that still surround it, they're still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lost mm-hmm. cause is alive and well in organizations like that. And they are well-funded. And they also, you know, they thrive off of a campaign of misinformation. Mm-hmm. In addition to the ignorance that that exists, there's also, I, I don't want to discount fear. And I don't want to mm-hmm. just say fear that people are actively cringing at home, not wanting to come outside. I'll say that, um, one other thing we highlighted in the podcast are just the numbers. I have a new policy degree, but I can't tell you what the stats are right now. But I would say that we all generally know that Mississippi has one of the highest black populations, I believe the highest in the, in the country. Um, That's right. I would say that even back then, like we're now decades past that vote right now. And I would say that it's probably grown along with the other minorities who have come to the state since then. Right. And so in addition, like we have... There are significant numbers, but there is no power, and there is also mm-hmm. lack of information. There's lack of widespread technology, which is coming from disparity, which comes from uh, white supremacy and the laws and the conditions, the environment that is put in place to make Black people feel inferior, to make them feel powerless. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm kind of adding along to what Bo was saying of just the general conditions of what there was in addition to the ignorance and to the, uh, like, to the culture that was trying to galvanize for this. Like people didn't know, I'm sorry to go on this tangent, but in the last, I think one of the past few episodes you guys had to talk about talking about um, black people being used as a shield or just not knowing mm-hmm. their power. And it frustrates me so much that I have had to remind myself and that black people have also had to remind themselves of, of what power and what influence they have, what economic uh, backing that we do have to leverage in these kind of scenarios. But just that was not, capitalize at the time in this in a way that could win this fight then and i think it related to to all of that 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 sense of feeling disempowered which is deliberate right on the part of the power yes. structure it also leads to a sense of futility i can remember so many conversations with black people in mississippi where i would just ask like informal polling what do you think of the flag and I was, I was surprised. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in the Chicagoland area. Um, and I study history. So I'm coming at it from, from that angle. Like it's, it's an outright racist white supremacist uh, symbol. But I was often surprised that black people were, gave essentially the verbal equivalent of a shrug. It's not that they loved the flag. 
but it wasn't something that they were like really passionate and needs to come down like yesterday. Not obviously that's not everyone, but I think part of that sense um, was feeling like, well, what's the use? You know, what is it, it? It's so hard to vote. It's so hard to make my voice known. It's so hard to push for change. We've seen so many attempts at this and it hasn't worked. And so again, that feeling of futility, which gets to, you know, why now then? Exactly. We were just maybe two or three years, I think maybe two years in Mississippi and when that vote happened. And my parents were still advised to not go down certain roads at night uh, yeah. in our part of Rankin County where we lived. Yep. So like you want us to change a flag? Exactly. <laughs> we're, just <trying> to, <laughs> we're just trying to get home. Yeah. <laughs> This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. So my question is, is this a victory over white supremacy or perhaps to what extent is it a victory over white supremacy? You know, we still need to have those conversations probably in certain parts, not just the Mississippi of the country. Um, don't go down that road if you're black at night or, or, or go into that bar or whatever it might be. Um, there's still so much heavy lifting left to do. And so is this a victory over white supremacy? To what extent is it? What do you think, um, Bo? Yeah, man. Racism is cured. We're good. (laughs) 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 Woo, that's a load off. (laughs) We did it. We can shut down this podcast, right? We're good. It's been a good run, (laughs) y'all. All right. right, So this is the way I kind of see it. Um, In Mississippi, as in with America, as in with the world as a whole, there is a number of false gods that uh, there's a pantheon of false gods that rule. Um, white supremacy is a big one, is a big one. And the altars of white supremacy don't come knocking down like easy. So is this a victory? I mean, yes. Is this the victory? Not by a long shot. Um, I think it, it strikes a significant blow when you take down, there's, there's something that, that means when you take down a losing battle flag, a losing battle flag. Although again, you know, this is the weird thing about it, Shalise. Like, yeah, it, it, the, it, they lost the civil war, but again, the, the mindset that drove the Confederacy still rules in the South, you know, uh, and still rules in America, if we're being totally honest, we can talk about that later, but, you know, so I think that there, there is definitely ground that's gained, but it's much more of a symbolic ground than a functional ground. And so that's why, you know, as Shalise said before, this is really just the beginning and it's an important beginning. Um, it won't be the slippery slope that we keep on hearing about. Oh, we're that slope, that slippery. This is a, uh, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good start to literally plant your flag and, uh, and begin the work. I want to add to that. Uh, I've been particularly watching a lot of Rocky films. My husband and I have gone through the entire Rocky series in okay. quarantine. Uh, okay. um, like great time we've had, but I want to say that this is not 
this is not the victory, but this is surely an uppercut and a broken rib to <laughs> supremacy in, in Mississippi in particular. Um, so I, it is symbolic. Like it is just as much, I, I mean, I live in DC where Muriel Bowser, the mayor was the first one to put black lives matter on the street. Yeah. And so this is basically like, this is the Mississippi equivalent that was state mandated for decades and decades like also for the past hundred years or so, but also which happened years after the war, uh, which you learn if you listen to Red Flag Podcast. Yeah, they it was years after the war ended when this was used as a symbol of tyranny and oppression over Black people and intimidation. The Confederate monuments went up far, far long after um, after the war was over. People were calling themselves mm-hmm. veterans. And I remember when I was younger, I was thinking, oh, you fought in whatever war so-and-so. So did my granddad. Like, no, they fought in the, there's, he's a Confederate veteran. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. All right, bye. Like, uh, very different. But this is surely a symbolic thing that has definitely had strongholds because it's tied to the political power. And so mm-hmm. I think that's different for this fight because it is a political victory, which is something that the black and brown disenfranchised, poor, rural, et cetera, of Mississippi have historically not had. So that's why I think this one is particularly yeah. different because though it's a symbolic thing that was taken down, it took this systemic political power to do it. And that hasn't happened in a long time. Now, that's very helpful for my processing because zooming in and kind of flying in and listening to some of the some of the proceedings and how they got to this decision, mm-hmm. it kind of made me feel like there's so much underneath the surface in Mississippi that <laughs> I didn't know. And even some of the language that was used and some of the characterizations, I was kind of looking and I was like, what's going on here? And this is like, it seems like there's a story beneath the story. And, and as there is in every community, what do you think about what this says about the legislature and about the climate? Because there was obviously some, some other things that were added in. So, you know, now the next flag must have, you know, and God we trust and all that language. And so like, like, what do you think this means for the future as far as the ways in which white supremacy kind of evolves and the way right racism and systemic racism and, you know, I guess sort of white normativity, even in our expression, like evolves and changes forms now moving forward, not just in Mississippi, but in all of the South, because I'm watching this as a, a native Southerner, as someone who lives in the South, and I'm saying this has ripple effects for us in our community. Like this has North Florida ripple effects because mm-hmm. if Mississippi can change their state flag, that Confederate monument downtown can come down. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean about the future of white supremacy? And what does that mean about how it's packaged? And anybody, e- either of you can jump in on that. You know, just to make the comparison really quick to the Confederate monuments, because I mean, it, it, there's, there's, there's a similarity, but also a difference, which is that you, you can organize and get some folks together and go and, you know, rent a crane and tear down a, a statue overnight and force the city to have to put it back up, and which most cities, you know, they're not going to. Whereas with something like a, a state flag, you can rip it down, but there's you know hundreds of them all over the state. <laughs> And it uh, becomes a right. bit of a, a thing. Yes, yes. So there's a, you know, the legislative process that, that is you're forced, like literally forced to have to go through, um, I think really kind of communicates or what, what, we, what we got here is um, something that can, and, and Shalise and I differ a little bit on this because, I, and I could be wrong, but I think that we may see if we kind of do a, an autopsy of the last two weeks, what we may actually have is a process, a model that can be applied nationally, maybe not nationally on a national scale, mm-hmm. but in mm-hmm. local communities 
uh, all across the country. Because a lot of what we've seen this last past couple of weeks have been done before. We've had businesses and business leaders go to the newspaper and say, hey, I, you know, this is bad for business. We really need to change that. And that's something, as you go back and you listen to the discussions and the debates and everything else from the, last, from the House and from the Senate in Mississippi, they're all talking about the economic impact. Uh, well, the Republicans are all talking about the economic impact. But the reality is, is that that's been discussed. There's nothing new about this time around where that was the case. Um, some major CEOs, some major GOP donors have expressed that this needs to happen. That happened this, this last two weeks. That's happened in years previous. The thing that changed this time around, and this is where I, and I could be very naive, but I think that this is where there could be a model. When you talk about kind of that pantheon of false gods that rule over Mississippi, man, football, sports, college sports, especially, but professional sports as well. Like that, that one reigned supreme. The moment I saw that the SEC was putting pressure on the state was like, that was my Churchill moment. I was like, it, victory, baby. This is it. This is it right here. And let me be clear. It wasn't the SEC that was putting the pressure on the state that made this happen. It was the players putting the pressure on the right. SEC because they've got so much power, mm-hmm. but they keep on getting like pressed down can I say sports is racist? I probably can't say that, but say I it. want to. <laughs> no, nah, man, it. go off. It's true though. The plantation is the size of a bowl and it sits a lot of people. They want you to mm. shut up and get back in the field, but you've got all the power. The players have all the power. Yo, Bo just floated right there. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> yeah. I need to be full disclosure. So I'm not good, a sports man. guy, so, so it hurts me nothing to talk, you know, to like go into like <laughs> criticize like ESPN to SEC and the structure that is like, you know, the, the sports athletics machine in America. But the reality is right now, and I get it. Look at Kaepernick. He was like the sacrifice, right? And so it's like, ah, see, you talk up, we will cast you out. But the reality is, is if everybody talks up and especially right now, when, you know, the COVID's going on, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is risk. I don't want to downplay that. But like there is strength in numbers and there is power in putting the pressure because I'm telling you, man, like professional sports, college sports, especially in America, that is one of those like big deities that rule over. So I think this is a model that can apply otherwise, other, other places. But again, that's just me. I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, I can, I can somewhat get on board with that point, Bo. Um, what I was talking about earlier about the fact that I hate that we need to be reminded of our power. That's kind of what I was talking about from um, shout out to the running back from Mississippi state. We appreciate you. And yes, that was the, the boldest move. Um, but yeah, black men are, I have this one stat that I pulled so I can sound smart. Black men <laughs> represent less than 10% of all full-time undergraduate male degree seekers mm-hmm. at colleges at each of the power five conferences. So we're talking about big 10 SEC. And so like just less than 10%, but think about how much money they make, the networks that showcase their sport, mm-hmm. um, how much money they don't get paid, how much their likeness mm-hmm. is put on so many things. Like they they don't get paid. They don't, this doesn't help them towards their degree. And where are they at when they get injured, when they can't, you know, keep playing the rest of the season? Um, who's helping them really to finish their degree, to be successful, like helping them become whole human beings? Like it's just, it, it's just a show. It's just, it, that is really frustrating to me. Um that students like particularly black men and black women don't have mm-hmm. the agency or don't feel that they have agency because they're confined in the system. Um, and, and just to amplify that point, uh, as we're recording, um, the number 16 
uh, high school basketball player, uh, McCour Maker, I may be mispronouncing that. He just committed to Howard University. To Howard, yeah. Which yeah. is the HBCU. Oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. And he's the first um, five-star recruit to commit to an HBCU since ESPN uh, started recording these things in 2007. That's reported by The Undefeated. And he explicitly did it to, to as a sign, as, as uh, to embody what y'all are talking about, to say that as athletes – we have so much influence. And if we take our influence to the places that affirm us, like an HBCU, to the places that have been historically underfunded and marginalized systemically, like uh, predominantly black colleges and institutions, um, then we, we bring that, that attention, we bring that potential revenue, we bring that spotlight to these places. And so it's a power move. It's a risk for him because going to, you know, one of the top basketball programs, um, it has a pathway to professional sports and a lot of exposure. And so he's one of the early people who does this, but, but say that turns into a wave of top recruits going to HBCUs. That's immensely powerful. And that sort of brings us to kind of, I think the next question and the next step we've been talking I think a lot about power, about agency, about being disempowered. How, moving forward, how do we deploy power, um, both as black people and perhaps even as, as just grassroots people across racial and ethnic lines? It, it, where do we go after this flag is down? What's next? Uh, one thing I've been particularly excited about is that I think we are in a season of, of unlearning. There is power in history and knowing it. Um, I'll say that one more time. There is power in history and knowing it. All I right. Amen. I'm <laughs> um, trying to win have, points with Jamar. Come on. Come on. <laughs> That's right. I'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, that I feel so much more uh, knowledgeable myself. And I feel so much more able to tell someone else what I know when I know it. And when I know what, it, where I've come from, what, you know, the, what the experiences of things have been like before me and what caused them to be this way. And so my, my, my ideological optimistic pie in the sky hope is that there will be a grand unlearning and relearning of true, full in context, colorful history um, I think that that will make, uh, make I don't want to say all people, I want to lift up particularly Black people like myself, but but I do think that it makes all of us better humans to be able to walk through this life and treat people well, but also it will allow us to see the history clearly of what we do and don't deserve in this world for people who let's subscribe to white supremacist ideologies. Um, I think that that allows Black people in particular to have more power and to feel like they have agency to change, to organize, um, to use their dollars wisely, um, to worship at certain places wisely where they are respected and treated well and listened to. Um, I think just reminding us, yeah, like, yeah, knowledge and power and in, in history. Um, I'll just put leave that right there and put a pen in it. That's so good. Yeah. Bo, what do you, what do you think? So I think one of the, I actually just had a conversation earlier today um, about this very subject. And I really do think that there is so much power in numbers, less so in terms of just showing up and showing out, and more so about the security and agency that you're empowering and the people that you're standing next to. So I think that 
you know, again, if we kind of look back to the model of Mississippi over the last couple of weeks here, um, just the outpouring of people showing up. Um, yes, there's a, there's a moment that we have right now that on the one hand, it's very frustrating because we're all stuck. Uh, those of us that are privileged enough to be able to quarantine, we're all, we're all stuck in quarantine. Um, fears are up right now because of the increase of, of the virus, the reality that we're probably leaning more from, you know, I think uh, Tyler, you've mentioned this on a previous episode, but you know, that this is, this is becoming more of an ice age instead of a blizzard. Right. Um, yep. Yep. This is Absolutely. just, this is the reality that we're in. And I mean, even, even leading up to, uh, even just over the last couple of weeks as, as uh, demonstrations were going on, as, um, you know, as people have been out in the streets, one of the biggest things that's been on my mind is how do we do this? How do we, how do we show solidarity? How do we show up in mass robes, but do so in a way that makes sure that we're alive to actually see these victories? Cause I mean, man, like this flag came down y'all. Like we got to see that. We got mm-hmm. to see that. Mm-hmm. Those moments are so powerful and inspiring what comes next. So I think that in order to kind of think through what what does come next, we just need to be making sure that we're able to show up, but we're doing so creatively in the reality of the world that we're in. And then beyond that, you know, tear down tear down your professional sports institutions. Yes, I will say that. <laughs> you say define professional sports. Hold on. Oh, wow. I say def- I, that's not what I said necessarily. Necessarily. Fund, fund. You said tear it down. You oh, said yeah. tear it he down. He did say tear it down. I heard <laughs> yes, it. Yes, I did. I think there was a, a hashtag coming in somewhere soon. Right, listen, exactly. listen, when we go back through our episodes that we did for Red Flag, the one that everybody always skips, not everybody, but a lot of people always skip is the one that's called Ole Miss, the Disneyland of the Confederacy. It is one of my favorite episodes that we did as part of Red Flag. It is wonderful. We, I agree. It's it a fantastic <laughs> episode. We were just talking and texting back and forth beforehand about that particular episode. I made an ad lib joke about uh, an actual Disneyland of the Confederacy that had a ride called the Robert E. Wee. No, <laughs> I still think it's the funniest joke. That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on air. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. That's impressive, Bo. I got to give it to you. It's a great episode, but we were talking about something that a lot of Mississippians don't want us talking about. Like, no, well, okay, yeah, no, we see the flag is racist and everything. Like, hey, why are you talking about Ole Miss? Why, why are you talking about Ole Miss? That's that's Ole Miss football. That's the Grove. That's like, why why are you why are you talking about this? Well, we got to talk about mm-hmm. this. We got to talk about this. And so if we're actually going to look at racism systemically, we have to look at the systems of racism that, that persist and even the things that we love, right. be right. it Marvel movies or, you know, uh, yeah. professional athletics or college athletics or whatever it may be, because there is deep ingrained racism that exists there and racist structures that exist there. So. Yeah, there we go. That's my soapbox that I'm going to try to force into this conversation. No, and, and and I think you should tie that into, you know, speaking about Red Flag, like how are you guys? Yeah. Like what's what's next for the podcast? Like is this is this the beginning of of, you know, now you guys have have talked about something historically and and talked about something ideologically and it's been taken down. You know, that should give you some confidence. Maybe it's another project. You know? How are you going to wrap up this one? You know, what what's I coming next? I haven't as a confidence builder just yet, but I... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if Bo had his way, just tear down all the sports. I mean, we just go like a history of what's been going on in the Let's South. Go. and <laughs> Nobody would listen. They all know I hate sports. So it's like, ah. <laughs> no, that's, that reminds me of that one time, and we'll talk about this later on another podcast, but that one time Bo was actually tweeting me um, oh, <laughs> asking these questions yes. about sports. 
he's in a sports conversation and he's like, is this person good? Like, and I'm like, nah, he's terrible. It's like, that's like Allen Iverson. People are like, wait, what? Who? Uh, yeah. No, uh, no. Nah, nah. <sighs> But I, I think nah. that, um, you know, it's been a question that has been asked, like, you know, what comes next for Red Flag? I think right now we are in the process of a uh, kind of a, a finale epilogue-esque um, two to three episode kind of wrap up uh, show where we kind of unpack what happened and talk to some of the people, some of the organizers for Black Lives Matter Mississippi, uh, some of the um, local journalists who've been, you know, following the story since the beginning. And, you know, I'm, I actually just wrote kind of a, a finale, like the, the final words of, of the series that I think without giving it away, uh, hopefully turns the mirror back on those tuning in from outside of Mississippi. Yes. Thank you. Because it's lost on nobody that on the day that we took down our flag, the president of the United States was posting out uh, his supporters yelling out white power. Mm. Yes. yes. So yes. the reality is, is like, you know, as much as Mississippi loves to be like the butt of the joke or the representation of everything wrong with America. I mean, you know, as, as the song, the end song of red flag says, welcome to Mississippi. You've been here all, all along. Ooh. Mm. Hmm. That's like that Malcolm X quote, you know, Mississippi is America, man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, truly, you know, if you've, if you, if one room in your house is dirty, you got a dirty house, you know? So what happens in, what happens in Mississippi affects Harlem and it affects every city that we're in. So man, thank y'all so much, even for being on. I've learned so much, even in our conversation and then also learned so much from your labor. Listen, I just want to encourage people to do something, support people who are working hard like working really hard to educate you in a creative way. Don't just consume, but support. So share that. Um, guys, go subscribe to Red Flag. Yes. Do your favor. all the episodes. It's very important and it's, it's, it's super high quality. The, the It's just a phenomenal presentation in, in so many different ways. So we just want to honor y'all. I know a lot of people deserve credit in this moment, but you know, you guys have educated so many people outside of the state of Mississippi We've also pushed the the movement inside the state as well. So, uh, Bo York, Shalise Grove, not Hall, but Shalise Grove, thank you so much um, for for what y'all have done. And um, and I just hope people give you guys a flood of support from PTM. This is a PTM approved podcast. Y'all better go do it right. Two thumbs up. Now, right now. Subscribe, rate, review. Yes, I appreciate y'all. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate you. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.